I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 10. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 24 this morning. Last week, two weeks ago, we started the job and the joy, and that was the job and the joy part one, and we looked at the job that we're called to do as disciples of Christ. And we asked, are you willing to do the job? Are you willing to do the things that followers of Christ need to do to be faithful to what he's called us to do? Now this week, we're going to see that there's a reward. That's the job. This week, we're going to see the joy in being disciples of Christ. This is part two of the job and the joy. So just to prepare our hearts for this, I I want you to, to look around you, maybe not necessarily here in the congregation, but as we look at the environment that we're in, I don't know if you've seen, there's a new Christmas tree decoration that you can buy for your tree, our first pandemic. (laughs) Okay, but these are unprecedented times. You know, we we thought maybe it was going away. We're all tired. We're tired of restrictions. We're we're tired of doing things online. We're we're tired of the news. We're tired of, of going back and forth. We're tired of people not knowing what's going on. And we're tired of us not knowing what's going on. So there, there's a pandemic out there that has just tested everybody. We've got tension over the election. We're not taking a side one way or the other, but let's just agree that there's some tension over the election. Amen? Thank you. That wasn't very enthusiastic. <laughs> Okay, that tension is showing up in our homes, brothers and sisters. So it's having an impact on relationships, it's having an impact on relationships with friends, with loved ones, with extended members of the family. There's tension all over the place, and we are trying desperately to fill up the empty hours that we have. People are working online. I mean, that, that's a whole new dynamic, isn't it? I used to be out of the house for eight hours a day. Now I'm in the house for 24 hours a day. People are working online. They're shopping online. We're all trying to learn new things to do. And I think if we were honest with each other, we would admit that this is quite a mess. And none of us anticipated this. And certainly in March, when we began dealing with it, we didn't anticipate that we would still be dealing with it in November. They tried to tell us. We all just hoped it would go away. And I know there are people that think that it's not even an issue, but I gotta tell you something. I had it. Kelly and I had it. And I'm suffering some very uncomfortable side effects from it. And my doctor's telling me that he doesn't know if they're gonna go away. (laughs) So for me, this is a real situation. And I know for some of you, you've lost people, you're on the verge of losing people. And for some of us who are susceptible, this could be life-threatening. That's why we don't have a full sanctuary this morning. So there's tension and decisions and we're trying to feel our way. It would be really easy to ask ourselves, joy, John, you're gonna preach on joy? What do I have to be joyful about? Because it can look pretty gloomy. We're going to see why we should be joyful in this passage, where we're going to see two very distinctly different types of joy. We're going to see the joy of the disciples in verses 17 through the Savior of the world can die before he's done saving the world. But immediately after that, Jesus begins sending them out. And what he's doing is he's preparing them for the work of the ministry. He's saying, 
I'm going to be gone. You, you are going to be the ministers. You are the ones that are going to carry on the things that I'm teaching. He sends 12 out. They have a fairly successful thing. There's, I mean, there's some humanness going on. They argue about who's greater and so on and so forth. Uh, but then he turns around, and it, just so that, that all of his followers understand it, it's not just these 12. It's not just the, the, the apostles with the capital A. He sends 72 out. So now he's saying, you know what? Everybody eventually is going to go. Everybody that follows me is a minister of the things that I teach. That includes all of you people. So he sends 72 out, and they return with joy. He told them to heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom of God. And he said, prove my presence among these people. And, and once you've demonstrated my presence, then tell them. Tell them about the kingdom of God. Tell them the kingdom of God has come near. Tell them Jesus Christ has come near. So how did they do with that? Well, they came back with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now, this is something he didn't tell them to do. This was a bonus with the package. Heal the sick, tell them about the kingdom of God, and they come back and go, you know what? The demons, even, they even listen to us. And, and we need to read this very carefully because the first thing that we see is they recognize. They have an innate knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. They call him Lord. And they're excited. They're rejoicing. And they've got good reasons to rejoice. Mostly. They went out in his name. They were his ambassadors. They were his messengers. They were filled with his power and authority. And the demons are subject to the, the authority and the power that Jesus has given the disciples. This is just huge. And it should be. It should be huge for us. We should be excited as well. Because what this means to us is that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have the same type of authority. It's not just those 72. He was trying to show them, we'll start with the 12, we'll go with the 72. It's going to be all of my followers. And, and we have that authority from the youngest to the oldest. Well, I just want you to think about that for a second. Because I hear this all the time. Children are too young to, to listen to a sermon. We've, we've got we've to have a special class for them. We've got to have a special place for them. They won't sit still. They, we, we can't load them up with a lot of theological teaching. Well, Jesus is talking to the first believers that ever were, and they don't even have the faith that the Holy Spirit's going to bring them in. And he's teaching them a lesson that they can go out in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ himself. There's no age limit on it. He's going to make that clear. So, I just want you to think about this again because this is more monumental than it may seem. Jesus explains to his followers and to us what this amazing authority in his name means. It starts with an 18. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
So for, the first thing Jesus says is, I saw. And so it, it seems to indicate that this is something that's happened in the past. It was an event that has already occurred. And, and maybe a prophetic event. And what he saw was Satan falling down from heaven from above. And this kind of has a relation to several different passages. Uh, I've got those noted in the handout we sent out, but it's in Amos chapter 8, Jeremiah chapter 1, Ezekiel chapter 2, Isaiah 6, and Isaiah 14 as well. You can go back and check those later. All those passages are prophetic of the coming Messiah. But they're prophetic of Jesus as he stands there in front of his disciples, prophetic of that particular moment. They're also prophetic of Jesus as he goes to the cross, and they're also prophetic of Jesus at the end time. So there's a little bit of all that in this simple statement. If we read the tenses in the Greek here, uh, they go a bit more like this. I was, am seeing Satan fall from heaven. So we, we, Jesus is not trying to challenge us on our idea of the end times. He's not trying to get us thinking about something happening in the future. He's trying to explain to us what's going on right now. And he's telling us that what, whatever time we're looking at, Satan is defeated. Scriptures tell us, and, and we've been told, that Satan's ultimate defeat happens at the cross. But what Christ is trying to tell his disciples is that Satan's defeat is a done deal. Satan's defeat is accomplished in God's economy. It doesn't matter what time you're looking at it. He's done. He's vanquished. It's over. Now, we know this already as astute believers, and you guys are astute believers. We've heard this before. As believers, we should know this. But Jesus wants the disciples and us to understand the implications for a believer. Jesus has victory over Satan and evil. Now watch this. We know Jesus has victory over Satan and evil, right? Amen? I love having somebody here because you can do amens. I know you people at home are amening too. Thank you. Watch what he says. Jesus has victory over Satan and evil. Not just Satan. We can personify Satan and kind of maybe sometimes in our minds separate him from the evil in the world. But Jesus got it all. And he says this in 19. Behold, watch. I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. You see, we, you and I, we walk in that victory. We carry that authority. It has incredible implications for how we live our lives. None of us, none of us as believers in Christ, if you have confessed your sin, if you have confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, then evil has no victory over you. You're not a victim. We don't have to be worried about this. Evil will not conquer us. We don't have to be afraid of it. We don't have to be afraid of COVID-19. We don't have to be afraid, listen carefully, of who wins the election. We can be concerned, but we don't have to be afraid over it. We don't have to be afraid over the world's situation or the economy or what's going on over here or what's going on over there because we are immune to evil. 
I'm not preaching some pie in the sky. Let's just put a happy face on this. Because we know that evil can inflict pain and grief. Give me an amen on that. It can hurt. Life can be difficult. And the evil that surrounds us can have an impact on us. But we need to realize that whatever impact that is, it's only temporary. It's, there's going to be an end to it. Ultimately, we have nothing to fear because Jesus and all he brings to our relationship is with us. He is in us. He is bringing us to the Father. He's bringing us into the Father's presence. And he's guaranteeing that that's going to happen. Meanwhile, meanwhile, we bear his power and his authority. And that, that gives us a reason to celebrate. That gives us a reason to take joy in spite of all the darkness around us. It gives us a reason to have hope. We know the outcome. We know where it all ends up. All the mess that we have today is going to end up with you and me, if we're believers in Christ, in glory, standing in front of God for all eternity. We're going to look back on this. <laughs> we were so concerned. What was it we were concerned about? <laughs> I'm not saying to ignore events around us. We need to be involved. We need to have an opinion. But we can't let them derail us. We can't let them take our joy. We can be robbed of this celebration of joy fairly easily. And we have to be honest with ourselves about that. Circumstances can close in on us. Things can happen that we don't agree with. Yes. Bad things can happen. We can lose material goods. We can lose our job. We can lose loved ones. We can lose friends. We can allow our earthly situation to overwhelm us. But you see, that's the problem. It's our earthly situation. It's our earthly circumstances. And they look so large to us and so long-lasting that we think they're eternal. And they're not. Jesus wants us to celebrate Jesus wants us to take joy in something beyond our earthly circumstances, something eternal. So the disciples come back and go, oh, you won't believe what just happened. The demons are subject to our authority and people are getting healed and this is absolutely incredible. We've done this and we've done that. Oh, of course, it was in your name. It was in your name. And Jesus says, watch this in verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you. It's almost as, of course, the spirits are subject to you. Do you understand that the spirit of this age, the antichrist of this age, that seems to be overwhelming the entire world, is subject to you? Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to stand up and start stomping our feet. What it means is we don't have to be influenced by it. We don't have to be taken off center by it. We don't have to let the anger and the hate and the tension and everything rule our day. 
That spirit is subject to us. We can choose joy over tension. Jesus wants us to be consumed by eternity, to keep our eyes on it at all times, to look at the end, embracing the joy of being with him forever. And the, the phrase written in heaven, we, we can have long talks about this, but what the author is trying to say, what Luke is trying to convey to us, is it, 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 the, the Jews would have gotten this image of a public register, a type of census, a record in heaven. And what Luke is trying to say, what Jesus is trying to teach us, is that God knows your name. It's written in heaven. Whatever record he has up there includes your name if you're a believer. Your name's already on a list. You're already a citizen of heaven. And no evil in the world will ever take that away from you. Jesus wants his people to look at eternity. He wants them to have eternal eyes, to take their joy in their eternal destination, not to be distracted by things here on earth, but the joy of the disciples is in what? Their relationship with Christ, not their circumstances, not anything, nothing that they have here on earth, or nothing that they may be lacking here on earth, or perceive that they're lacking. So Jesus doesn't just tell them about this, He's a good teacher. He wants to show them what it looks like. And so that takes us to our, our second revelation here is that, that Jesus is going to show us his joy. Verse 21. And in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, what it means is he took joy in the union that he has with the Holy Spirit. This isn't some sort of mystical, supernatural, swooning thing. This is Jesus rejoicing in the fact that he has a relationship with the Holy Spirit with his Father in heaven. Watch this. And said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to who? Little children. They're babes in the faith. He said, yeah, you're telling the truth. I think you got it. I think you know where your joy is. I think you know that it's not about what happened out there and the fact that some demon listened to you, but what's happening up there and the fact that your name's written in heaven. You got it. Father, for such was your gracious will. Jesus says, here's where I get my joy. I take my joy in the relationship and, and this, is, this is an intimate relationship. He calls him Father, Abba. The relationship he has with his Father in heaven. Yet his Father in heaven is Lord of heaven and earth. He's the one who created everything. He's, he's the owner of everything. He's got an intimate relationship with the owner of everything. The creator of everything. You, you follow what I'm doing here? Because we're one with him, we have an intimate relationship with our Abba Father, the creator of everything. Father, Lord of heaven and earth. It's not the only thing Jesus takes joy in. He takes joy in the, the, the fact that the disciples seem to be getting it. They understand where their joy comes from. Even though they're little children in faith. 
He says, wise men don't have that. And he's kind of talking about the Pharisees. The people are supposed to be wise in their age. We'll see a direct confrontation with them in the next passage. These little babies have an understanding of an incredibly deep theological concept. How can that be? How can babies get this? Well, the understanding is a gift of grace given to them by the Father. A gift of grace. The understanding is a gift of grace bestowed upon them by their Father, the Lord of heaven and earth. But Jesus isn't done. He goes deeper into his joy and begins sounding, you know, this is Luke's gospel, but Jesus begins sounding a lot like John's gospel and what he says next. And he makes some very startling declarations. Verse 22, all things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows who the son is except the father or who the father is except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Now, I, I read that verse for two weeks. I go, <laughs> I, I'm not sure what this means. <laughs> let, let, me, let me tell you what's going here. They're only through the Son. He's the only one that knows the Father. Father's the only one that knows Him. If we know the Son, we know the Father. So watch what happens here. Because of all this, the, the Son is the only one who can give knowledge of the Father. The only knowledge of the Father is given to those who the Son reveals to Him. So Jesus takes joy in His relationship with His Father, in the authority that God has given him and that God has given Jesus salvation. Salvation is in the hands of Christ alone. That's what he's trying to say. There's no way to the Father but through him. He'll make it clear as his ministry continues to develop. But here's this astounding revelation, a deep theological lesson, and it's all been given to these babes in the faith. I mean, their faith is literally days old. And Jesus is taking them deep into the relationship between the members of the Trinity and how they themselves take part in it. Now we know that the disciples are getting it. It's dawning on them what's going on. They don't have full understanding yet. But they're getting it on a basic level because of what Jesus says next in verse 23. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, he said, this is just for those who believe in me. This is for you faithful people that are following me. It's not for the crowds that are fickle and about to leave me. It's not for the people that are latching onto me for what they can get. It's for you who are willing to sacrifice yourselves and commit yourselves to me. You whom I have called to do the work of the ministry he says, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You guys are blessed. You're seeing things that the entire world has wanted to see. And the Spirit has revealed these things to you because of your relationship with me and I'm the only way that you can see these things 
So he takes joy in the fact that the disciples are blessed. Not just that they're blessed, but that they have found favor with their Father in heaven. Jesus takes joy in the fact that you, my brothers and sisters, are blessed and have found favor with our Father in heaven. Do you feel the joy beginning to mount? <laughs> Do you feel the oppression of the world beginning to slip away? Do you feel that when you walk out this door, things might look a little bit differently than when you came in? Because if you feel that way, you're beginning to look at things through eternal eyes. It's what God wants for us. To take joy and to celebrate the fact that we have a relationship with his son and that that relationship is eternal and never-ending and cannot be snatched away from us. So we've seen, we've seen this joy of the disciples in 17 through 20. And their joy is not, not in power, not in authority, but in Christ. Their joy doesn't come from anything in the world. It comes from heavenly things, eternal things, permanent things, things that are already accomplished, and no evil in the world can remove that from them. We've seen the joy of the Lord in the power and authority that God has given him. Now, I want you to think about this for a second because it's very easy for us to get waylaid and focus on the power and authority. We're about to see a couple of demonstrations on what real power and authority looks like. And let me tell you something, it's not a worldly definition of it. Jesus never stands up, puts his hands on the hips, and goes, well, I'm going to show you how powerful I am. He's humble, meek, rides on a donkey. Jesus takes joy in the fact that he has the power and authority. But we will find out that Jesus also takes joy in God's mercy and his grace. He takes joy in the fact that he has a relationship with God. And God has a relationship with him. And that God has given salvation into his hands. And that those who are saved are blessed and have found favor with God. Jesus takes joy in eternal things. In the work that's already accomplished. So, what do I have to be joyful about? What do I have to be joyful about? Well, we have the same blessings as disciples. We're in the same situation. 2,500 years later, we're in the same situation. He's telling them, don't, don't let the fact that some villages are going to reject you, don't let the fact that some of you are going to die, don't let any of that take away your joy because your joy is eternal our joy is in our salvation in Christ given, given those things given to us and, and the authority and power that we have to resist the evil of the world today we have a relationship with the father that is sealed and fully satisfied in Christ and we rejoice that our names are written in heaven and nothing can take that away so don't let it. Don't let anything rob you of that joy. Don't look at any news report or any social posting or any rumor 
or any flat-out truth statement that somebody makes, take away your joy. Don't let it rob you of doing what we've been called to do, to be ambassadors of of salvation, ambassadors of love and grace and mercy. Yes, we are concerned over the situation. Amen, brothers and sisters. We are very concerned about it. But we don't make it worse by entering into the fray and amping up the anger and the tension and the frustration and adding to the darkness that is out there in the world. We are sources of salt and light and love and mercy. That doesn't mean that we lay down and become doormats for anybody, but it does mean that when we have the opportunity, we show them Christ. And as we do, I'll make you a promise. And as we strive to show them Christ, your joy will multiply. Let's pray. Father, we do take joy in who you are. We take joy in what you have done in our lives and what you are doing. And Father, we even take greater joy in what you will do in our lives because we just heard that that work is already accomplished. We take joy in the fact that Satan is defeated, that we are not victims of evil, that we don't have to put up with this. We don't have to react to things the way the world does. All we have to do is follow you and do those things you've told us to do. And right now, your spirit tells us to take joy. We give you praise for the work that's already done in our hearts and the work yet to be accomplished. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.